Alright you absolute legends, welcome back to another episode of A Need to Read. I'm your host, Ed Cunningham, as always, and I've got another guest episode for you today with Ben Aldrich, and we're talking about his book, How to Control the Uncontrollable. It's a really practical look at becoming more stoic. Stoic philosophy is something I've spoken about loads on the podcast before, but Ben gives a load of history, how you can apply it in your life, and just some really practical challenges to kind of build your resilience which, I mean, it's not a bad idea, is it? Ben also happens to be a really, really nice guy, and I loved having the conversation with him. Went into some of his favourite books, one called Hardcore Zen. Um, we spoke about combining fear and play, which is a concept that I really like. Voluntary discomfort's not my favourite thing, but we spoke about it. Uh, he spoke about getting over himself, which is something I'm going to try and do uh, one day. The misconceptions of stoicism and how to do negative visualizations now of course before we get into that conversation i gotta pay the bills and that means it's time for an advert now i don't know if you've listened to many of these podcasts before but i have been mentally ill quite a few times in my life and luckily i've gone to therapy and it has really really helped just talking about things so i can understand my emotions why i react certain ways to certain things talking about maybe things that have happened in my life i don't know i don't know why i'm using me as an example therapists will talk to you about essentially anything that's going wrong you can get one of those therapists and guess what? You can get 10% off your first month with that therapist. And also you can be matched to them within 48 hours. All you have to do is go to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read. And then, I mean, you'll have a therapist. And you can say to your friends, like, oh my God, my therapist said the other day. It's great. Honestly, betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read. Get yourself some therapy. Oh, and obviously, just before I forget, my mailing list. I've told you guys I'm trying to be a better writer. I need people to read my stuff to tell me if I'm any good or if I'm shite. So please sign up to my Substack in the description of this episode. And you'll also find the other sponsor um, that I didn't read out today because I I respect your time and your attention. So here is the podcast. Uh, So we were just speaking then off camera, but I thought it'd be something quite interesting to talk about is what you actually do for your day job alongside writing and speaking how is it you've you've come to be an author but also what else do you do so yeah so i teach guitar in schools that's one of my jobs um along with writing books and speaking now as well so it's a bit of a mix trying to balance everything but it's uh it's something that i really enjoy and they complement each other really well because i find that as a teacher we get these holidays we get these breaks where i now use that time to be very creative and write projects and uh and do all my speaking events so it's good they, they work together very well cool well how on earth did you get to the point that you were writing books then if you and they're not about guitars are they they're about stoicism <laughs> <laughs> yeah so do you know what the, all of this came off the back of uh, experiencing really bad anxiety and this was something that i felt was a very cathartic process for me to to write about what I did because I was hoping that it would be able to help people manage their anxiety as well. My first book is all about that really, how this panic and these this kind of really intense anxiety came out of nowhere. And I then document how I how I managed that and what I did and what really helped me. So that was the journey of the first book and, and stoicism was a, a big part of it. But this second book is more about stoicism in general because that's now trickled into all aspects of my life my work and my home life and everything so 
is something that I use every day. So it's really nice uh, that I get to write and speak about these ideas. Yeah, I bet. And, and stoicism is such an interesting one because it's such a practical philosophy. And it is one of those ones that people tend to stumble across out of necessity, not out of just, oh, this will be nice to know about. People want a route out of, of what they're feeling. And stoicism obviously helped you with anxiety. So let's just chat about that to begin with. You weren't always anxious. Is that um, correct? Well, I wasn't aware that I was anxious. You know? Yeah. <laughs> in hindsight, there would have been times when, yeah, clearly I, I had like a panic attack, but then just thought nothing of it. Yeah. Carried on. And it was an iso isolated events. And I never kind of had a big picture of everything. And then it just culminated with this intense period of time where I was just like panic attack, panic attack, panic attack. And it was just being completely overwhelmed. So that was really the gateway into everything. And my way of dealing with this anxiety was bibliotherapy. So just reading everything and anything that I could get my hands on and just trying to understand my mind better. And this is where I came across the Stoics. And I think, you know, their ideas have, have helped me immensely. So, uh, yeah, it's great. It's the practicality. As you said, that's what's so great about it. It's so, yes, there's so much stuff that's actionable. It's not just theoretical. And that's why I guess I connected with it so much. Yeah. And you do stuff. That is one of your, your main things is like, do, do things that challenge you is, is literally part of your, that's, that's your title on Instagram, isn't it? Right. And, and you just seem to be a doer. So things like existentialism, where you just have to think about your existence and how futile it is, doesn't seem to, to fit your personality type. So you and you and stoicism seem to go quite well. Um, you've, you've done quite a lot of challenges yourself on well, let's let's pick a couple of your challenges. You climbed Everest in your home. Yeah. You ran a marathon in your back garden. Uh, is there anything else of note that you think people always raise their eyebrows at? Um, I think ice swimming is is one that people are always like, oh my god, how would you get in a frozen lake? That's something that people tend to yeah raise an eyebrow. Um, yeah, there's lots of things. I guess what's the purpose of all of this is really. Um, to step outside of your comfort zone in as many different ways as possible. And that's how I initially started to deal with that anxiety was to, it's counterintuitive when you're in a very anxious space to lean into the things that scare you. But actually it does give you confidence and it can help you immensely if you do this and you step outside of what you find comfortable. And this is, I think this is the greatest way to build resilience. So some of my challenges are very, very small. Are the ones you've given another yeah they are the big oh, ones, big <laughs> ones. over time it's it you build up and you do things like that and I, I like quirky challenges as well so things that are unusual um those are the things that get me excited so i think i'm always looking for unusual challenges as well but my first the first thing i did was walk to the bench in my local park and that that just kind of illustrates what place i was in mentally for that to mm. be a challenge and then slowly over time the more you do the more confident you get and then got to the stage where I was running marathons and climbing mountains and doing things that would sort of from the outside seem to be quite scary or quite ambitious. But I think it, it all started with that first sort of small thing. And then, then that kind of snowballs. So yeah. you can see, well, personally, I can see that it's worked. So that's why I feel so passionate about sharing this idea with other people. Yeah. And were you into any wild and wacky stuff before you started doing these challenges? Uh, probably not not since i guess it was refined 
after this like my mum's yeah. probably a little bit eccentric so I think that that naturally runs through the family but I don't know I think it's just been um put under a, a like more focus really because of this and, and I think it's quite interesting I'm, I'm always inspired by people who do things that are slightly off the wall for instance uh, I remember reading about there's a bloke called Al Humphreys he's this mm. author and he did the first like on foot lap of the M25 and I just thought that was absolutely <laughs> brilliant that's genius like it took it took them like seven or eight days and they would just follow the, the goal was to start I don't know at junction one and then literally walk all the way around the M25 and they were sleeping in bivy bags along the way and I just thought that's an amazing journey that's such a an inspiring out of the norm kind of concept so I, I felt yeah I think it's cool yeah go on cool. yeah there's another guy as well Erling I think it's Erling Kage this Norwegian explorer and he did a similar thing but in New York he did the whole of Manhattan but through the sewer which is just <laughs> wild <laughs> But these ideas really can't have just done like a tough mudder or something, you know, like normal people. <laughs> but I love that idea. I think that's, I mean, that sounds terrifying to be honest because it's yeah. so easy to get lost and there's just, you know, hundreds of miles through the like Plan the rats. Rhyme. Yeah. God, it'd be horrific. And like they met people along the way that were living in the sewers and it's just crazy. Like, but those ideas really excite me. They, they inspire me. So, I mean, obviously my things aren't quite like that, but there's, you know, there's a, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> if it started with a park bench and then you climbed Everest on your stairs, like I, the sky's the limit for you, Ben. Honestly, it, it seems to be the case. <laughs> but I think, yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fun to be had. I think you know the thing with challenges is people can take it very seriously. You know, the mm. tough mud is very you know could be very serious. But actually, yeah. I think having fun is is important. I think the two things that I quite like the idea of going hand in hand are fear and play. Because they're things that you don't normally associate with each other. So getting them together can be an interesting combination. Yeah, it's almost as if you you have to kind of position yourself as like the observer of the experience. Like really be like, well, I guess this vessel is doing this thing. And I'm just going to have to watch and see what happens. That's That's how I like prep myself mentally for things that I'm like, oh, yeah, if I think about this too much, I'm going to have a panic attack. So then I'm just like, <laughs> kind of... Uh, dehumanize myself for a second and then all of a sudden it's done and I actually had a good time yeah and I think that's such a great and wise way of of handling something because I think you know you're not gonna learn about these experiences unless you put yourself in these experiences and then I think that can help with just day-to-day -day stuff you know the curveballs that life throws at us it's nice if we have some sort of preparation so I guess that's that's really the purpose to challenges that's that's my relationship to it you know I yeah. recently gave blood which has been Honestly, that was right at the top of the things that terrified me. Mm. Uh, I had such a problem with it. It was so scary. So actually going and doing that and forcing myself to, to face that fear is an incredibly empowering experience. You grow a lot when you do that. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I feel that there's value in, in, in stepping outside of our comfort zones. Yeah, for sure. And there'll be lots of people listening who do not like needles, who are like, yeah, oh my God, fair play, what a hero. And lots of people who see no problem with it, but yeah. Exactly. yeah all right mate but it's like it's funny how that's the biggest challenge for you and we all have these unique little things that we want to overcome within ourselves little fears and it's just that like exposure to it or if you're just jumping right in at the deep end and you speak about that in the book about how stoicism is kind of similar to 
a type of therapy is it like exposure therapy yeah absolutely yeah that's it that's it bang on you just get out there and you start doing and you know epictetus the famous stoic said don't explain your philosophy embody it and that's really that that runs through the whole of the philosophy just get out there and test it test it out it's not there to just be talked about you need to put it into practice and that's when you're going to see how powerful it is um, you can sit around all day talking, but you won't get the same results unless you actually get out there. So that's, yeah, yeah that's, that's important, I think. I think that's one of the most like, interesting thing about the Stoics because you can, you can fall head over heels in love with them and then you'll maybe Google some criticism of them and you'll see that a lot of them were incredibly rich. Obviously, Epictetus was, was a slave, but someone like Seneca or Marcus Aurelius, like they're oligarch-level rich. But then you can almost see their wealth and then respect it even more that Seneca was like, yeah, for three days a month, I'm just going to sleep on the floor and I'm going to eat nothing. And I'm going to wear the most uncomfortable clothes. But all the while, he could have just been sipping on wine, having slaves do whatever he wants for him. He could have had a complete life of luxury. So for like someone like that to write about how hedonism is not a good thing and, and we shouldn't always seek pleasure, it makes it more admirable because Roman Abramovich isn't doing that, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so my Seneca is my favorite stoic so who who is yours right it's very hard to say <laughs> I, I like Marcus Aurelius I find that it's um you know the meditations is such a wonderful book I find that I read it a lot and it's it's something that you can dip in and out of and you can get to know his philosophy quite well it's, it's a short read and I kind of like that I like Epictetus as well um I think he's he's very interesting um, Seneca, Seneca's done so much writing, so there's there's a lot to get into with Seneca. Um, but yeah, I, I love them all. Really, it's hard to pinpoint. But I would probably say, yeah, I'm a Marcus Aurelius guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's usually one or two. It's Seneca or Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> um, and what is your favourite concept from Stoicism? Then, like people who listen to this podcast should have heard me speak about Stoicism at various points. Should know the origin stories of it, of how the chance meeting with a, a man outside of a, a bookshop said, oh, how convenient. This this is the philosopher man you must learn from. All the while, he's just crashed his boat with his snails with purple ink in. And it's all a lovely chance story. But um, so they, they should know how it's come about, but maybe not all the lessons that, that come from it. And you've, and you've gone for like 10 stoic principles in the latest book. I've literally, I've done what I always do, by the way. I've crammed my reading. I finished it this morning about 8.30. <laughs> so I haven't done any of the challenges. And I think that might actually be my subconscious avoidance yeah. of doing the challenges because I know that they'll probably get me hooked into doing more of them. <laughs> yeah. So I guess mm. like if I'm talking about it, I always tend to go, the one, the idea that, like caught my attention was voluntary discomfort. And this took me into stoicism. My first book was all about this. Uh, and it's the idea that we prepare for adversity by practicing adversity. So the Stoics would do all these wonderful things to build resilience. Uh, it's essentially the idea of stepping outside your comfort zone, which we uh, spoke a little bit about previously. Yeah. But, you know, they would do these bizarre things like sleep on the floor with no mattress or duvet or pillow. They would fast from um food and water they would um expose themselves to the cold and the heat they would deliberately wear embarrassing clothes and things and i love this you know they would just do all of these things as a way to train resilience and i think that's such a fantastic idea it it's mirrored in a lot of modern therapies we've got um 
REBT, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy, which was created by a bloke called Albert Ellis, and he was inspired by the Stoics and some of his exercises. I talk about the banana walk in my book, which is his exercise. He created this, and it's brilliant. Yeah. This is, and it's called shame attacking. And this was inspired by, I mean, Cato, the Stoic, used to, he would wear a stupid color, an inappropriate color for like a, an important meeting and would turn up and everyone would just like, go, what, what the hell are you doing? And just laugh at him. <laughs> but he would do that to overcome his sense of uh, shame and, and that internal dialogue. So Albert Ellis's Banana Walk is, is a great example, a modern way of, of conjuring yeah. this, this philosophy. And it's very simple. You take a banana, you tie a piece of string to it, and then you walk as if it were a pet in a busy public space and people will point at you and they'll laugh at you and, and you have to kind of deal with that internal conversation. And it's, yeah. it's a very powerful exercise. And, and actually the Albert Ellis Institute, I think from what I've heard is that you'll see people quite close to it, like walking bananas. So if you want to, <laughs> if you want to catch someone walking a pet banana, that's the place uh, to go and observe it. But it's something that we can do very quickly, very easily. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's a great way to, to put this practice to the test. Okay, and what are you building on then with walking the banana? What was it for you that kind of made you need to do that? Or was it just you like the idea? Um, I think it because I'm an introvert, for me, that sort of judgment of others, people looking at you, being the centre of attention, that can be challenging and feeling foolish as well. That's the reason to sort of get over myself, to get over my internal dialogue. And just seeing how powerful that is. Do you know that one of the weirdest things that I did that I was really surprised it was so hard. I walked through Hyde Park backwards. Now I did this by myself. No, my wife wasn't filming me do it. <laughs> so it was literally just in the middle of the day, me walking backwards through Hyde Park. And honestly, it was so embarrassing. It was really, really <laughs> embarrassing. And because when you're walking backwards, you can't walk very fast. So people walking towards you are walking so much faster than you. <laughs> so you're just kind of like looking them in the eyes and they're like, what, what the hell are you doing? And it's, it feels, it feels for me anyway, it feels uncomfortable. It feels mm. that there's something going on in my head. Like, why am I so bothered about doing something like this? It's not, it's really not that bad. Who cares? And so that's the point of it to challenge that internal dialogue and to, you know, the more we do this, the, the more comfortable we get within our own skin and actually we learn to relax. And it's this judgment that other people have about us or that we perceive that they, they are judging us in a certain way. The reality is no one cares. No one like, yeah. like oh, some guy walking backwards. You know, there's, you see loads of things in London. Um, so I don't know. I think it's because it, I felt it so strongly when I did it. That to me is a key indicator that this is actually something quite interesting to explore. Yeah, I've I've never done anything like that. I have I have walked backwards places, but one one thing I used to be quite concerned about was my hairline. So I just shaved my head, mm. oh, and I was like, "That's yeah. that's my overexposure to it." And ever since then, I've just not been bothered. And I th I think sometimes people can hear stories of people doing weird and wacky things like walking backwards or walking a banana and be like, oh yeah, but surely that's just going to, it's not going to last long. The like confidence boost that you get from the exposure, but I think it does. It lasts quite a long time. Cause you're like, oh, actually none of that really matters. I was just, whilst you were talking then trying to find a quote that you had from Marcus Aurelius in the book about um, how people will. Okay. It never ceases to amaze me. We love ourselves more than other people, but care more about their opinion than our own. I was like, that 
was screaming at me whilst you were talking. Yes, 100%. It's such a fascinating phenomenon, isn't it, that we care so much about other people when really we're the ones in the driving seat, supposedly, um, who we should give a shit about and, and not the other people. So walking backwards and bananas, what else have you done for voluntary discomfort? So voluntary, yeah. So if, if we go more the conventional route, I think anything that's going to push you physically is a great way of experiencing discomfort. So, you know, you've got your classic running races or just working out, just having some kind of exercise routine. That in itself is a very stoic practice because it's not easy to be disciplined with it. And yeah. there's a lot of value in that. I think forcing your, your mind to to go to the gym or to go for a run or whatever it is that you connect with. It doesn't, you know, it's not like you have to do a specific exercise. It's more about just the process of exercising in general. Uh, I think yeah. it's a great way because it can be uncomfortable and mentally it can be hard. You have to force yourself sometimes to get over that resistance. So again, this is a great way of, of practicing that. Yeah. And didn't you, you now run whatever the weather? Yeah, I like running in the rain. Actually, it's really nice. It's, there's something mm. about it. Um, there's it just there's no one around. And yeah, it, you just accept it. It's an acceptance, right? Yeah, and you've got, for you've sure. Got to be careful. I think I, I write about it a little bit in the book, but I went for a, a run because I, I kind of you know I'm very much like oh yeah get it get involved. If there's like a storm or like a yeah, I'm like yeah let's go out let's go out. It's nice. It's like it's it's tough. Um, but we had this storm, I think it's Storm Kiera. And um, this was a few, couple of years back, maybe. Mm. And it was insane. It was a wild, wild storm. The storm of the century, it was called. And I thought I'd go for a run. And it was a terrible idea. It was really bad. I ended up in these woods and like all these branches were falling down. I was like, I've really made a mistake here. It was <laughs> terrible. The wind was so strong, you could barely breathe. So I think it's like, with all of this, it's finding balance. And I think that's been a part of uh, the whole process for me, learning where my limits are and also trying to be sensible. Yeah, for sure. I like people don't need to keep it going because it is quite a uh, walk in the banana is kind of like your gateway drug to running in Storm Eunice's brother or sister who comes up next. <laughs> exactly. I think that's it. Like it's moderation really. It's, it's you know, what's going to work for you, playing around with it, but, you know, not you don't have to take this to i don't know the extreme it's it's just you know however however it works but it's it's a great concept and i think a lot of people will benefit from a little bit of discomfort because we live very comfortable lives in yeah in the scheme of things really well i i, I think it's it's you have to say in the scheme of things just because what if people kick off that you said that we all have easy lives but i i, yeah. I do think it's it's good for people who live in the western developed world to be like yeah things pretty easy really in comparison to other parts of the world it's like we're very lucky to to be where we are and to be privileged enough to actually seek out discomfort as opposed to just being yeah. it served on a plate every morning yeah. um so i like i like that idea do you um do you ever get much kickback from people because stoicism is well it's not the most sensitive of uh philosophies it it, it doesn't seem to cater to people's feelings do you ever get any kickback from talking about stoicism or the most you know people i think there's a there's a big misconception about mm. how you know the sto there's a stoic stoic kind of trade-off mm. so people often associate the word stoic with a lowercase s mm. with stoicism uppercase s the philosophy 
So the stoicism, or sto if you're stoic with a lowercase s, it's it's kind of like it almost has a bit of a negative connotation. Maybe in the sense that oh, they were stoic. It's almost robotic. They're like emotionless. There's you know this kind of coldness that comes. Maggie with Thatcher. So <laughs> so there's that that kind of you know that vibe, but actually the reality is it's a a very rich, nuanced philosophy that is the capital S. So I think they're very separate. You should almost completely remove them. Obviously, we know that the word stoic is inspired by the Stoics, but they, they feel very detached. And I think this lack of emotion um, is, is that's probably the main thing that people uh, assume that you have to be, if you're stoic, you have to be disconnected from your emotions, which is uh, absolutely not the case. And I think it's, it's uh, an important part of, of Stoicism to be able to understand your emotions. It's not repressing them, but it's controlling them in a in a, a very practical way. So I think that's something that is hugely important because we yeah. can't we can't like well you can repress emotions. <laughs> it's hard, but it's not going to be a good idea you know, <laughs> to come around in the future. And I think the Stoics had they had tools that they would use to help them manage powerful emotions, and that's what they talk about. And I think that message sometimes gets confused. It's probably one of the biggest. Uh, mistakes i think a lot of people come in i've had someone say oh yeah but the stoics are just like you know they're cold but actually you're missing this this huge part of it yeah they had tools for dealing with difficult things and difficult emotions but they weren't they weren't saying oh you you shouldn't feel them because yeah it's you can't stop that you can't not feel something um but it's, it's what you do when you feel it that's that's what they're really focusing on yeah you you speak about the idea of sim sympathia is that is it? yeah uh, yes yeah, sympathia or however we say it in the book and, and that was quite a nice reminder of the the lighter side of stoicism the more wholly compassionate side so would you would you mind explaining that because i really like the idea of it and i think it's something it's quite a nice mindset for people get, to get into yeah so the the whole concept is is that we're all connected that there's there's a interconnectedness between every single one of us and nature and everything around us. And we're kind of cogs in this bigger, bigger thing. And this is a very, very powerful tool. And the Stoics have this exercise called the view from above, which you basically zoom out and you look down. So you're in, in the room now and you zoom up a little bit and you look down on yourself. And then you go a bit higher and you look down and you see, oh, actually, you know, I am part of this town or whatever then you zoom out and then you see oh i'm part of this country and then you zoom out and then you look at the planet and then you see actually we're all on this this planet together there's this that kind of connection that we have and then you zoom out even more and you're like okay we're part of this solar system and then you zoom out even more and you're like yes we're all part of this universe together and there's real parallels here with buddhism as well i think there's this interconnected thing and and it's really interesting to look at it and it can be very liberating to have this this feeling that actually we are all part of each other what marcus aurelius says what's bad for the hive? What, what's bad for the hive is bad for the bee mm -hmm. so it's you know if you're sorry sorry the other way around is <laughs> what's bad for the bee is bad for the hive so you know it's, it's looking after each other um and making sure that we care and that we're we're sympathetic to other people and that you know we're, we're trying to look after humanity so this is a this is a big picture concept, and it's something that I think is is very useful. Uh, and it's it's just stepping back a bit and thinking, okay, hang on, you know, 
what what can I do to be part of this? How can I be a decent person? That's that kind of ties in with all the virtues that the students yeah. like to bring into their philosophy. So yeah, it's it's nice a nice idea. Yeah, and um, it's kind of a little bit like that, that zooming out. It's like cosmic insignificance therapy. Mm. Just being like zooming out. Oh, we're essentially just acting like cells on a big ball if we zoom out far enough. Mm-hmm. So can't ever matter that much, whatever it is. I feel like ever since I've learned about that and, and since I've, well, in fact, you, you write about this, you had like 10 mind-blowing facts, right, in your book. Yeah. I quite like that part. Um, when you learn about things like that, it's hard not to feel minuscule and that can be quite a dangerous thing to feel and there's a few things in stoicism that you rightfully put a a warning about in the book it's like thinking about this will make you uncomfortable those were a more a more fatty or no um the negative visualization and memento mori yeah that's it yeah so let's just talk about negative visualization because People of the internet love to talk about visualizing like a Ferrari and all of a sudden it yeah. pops up. But stoicism is very different to that, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. The, the idea of negative visualization is to picture like something going wrong. And this is, this is a way to, to do two things, right? It's, it's there to help you prepare for future potential issues. So you, could, you can think of this in a very business kind of way. It's like, you know, if you set up a business, you're going to do SWOT analysis and you're going to like make sure that you've thought about all the, the things that might go wrong. And it's very practical thinking about that. And that can help you to prepare. So the things that you've prepared for in advance, they don't hit as hard when you encounter them. So that's really the first reason to think about things in a negative way. We don't have to believe and like get sucked into the negativity, but it's just setting us up for a bit of preparation. It's not a bad thing. I use the example of having a fire extinguisher in my house as a perfect example of that's like practical negative visualization. I don't want to have a fire in the house. No, <laughs> but it's like, if that happens, having a fire extinguisher can help me to prepare. And it's just a little bit of forethought that has gone into the whole situation. Uh, so that's the first reason to do it. The second reason is to have gratitude. So we can picture something bad happening and then we can ground ourselves in reality and know that, that actually that hasn't happened. But imagine if it had, and it can help us to be more grateful for the people we have in our lives and and just generally everything that we have. Because if you think about, I mean, here's a very simple exercise. Imagine if your phone, you dropped your phone right now and it broke. The inconvenience of that is very minor, but at the same time, you'd probably be a bit annoyed. But the fact that it hasn't happened means that, oh, actually, I'm grateful that my phone isn't broken. Yeah. And then they roll it out and they do it for they do it for people and relationships and they picture the people that they love dying as a way to actually make sure that you are spending the right energy with that person when you're with them that you're committed to being present and that actually you're grateful for their existence because we take things for granted so easily and actually this exercise when you think about important people in your life being taken away from you it really really helps you to be like okay right i need to focus and you've got to be careful with this because that can be very it can be very upsetting so you've got to find the balance and i always say like make sure you're in the right mental space if you do this you know it's hard to contemplate the people that you love being taken away from you that's a really difficult exercise so you know don't do that after you've been boozing and you're like feeling really bummed <laughs> out. 
really not a good do it idea. whilst yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but i think it's um it's a, it's a really powerful exercise and i do this a lot and i remember i was in a really bad anxious space and if i'd done this then that would have been an absolute disaster but now where i am mentally i find that this is actually an amazing tool and the sense of gratitude i have for the people and and the relationships is heightened by this so i think it's it's good but you've got to be careful with it it's a kind of a a spicy exercise but yeah you know you can get good results from it yeah definitely there's something similar and like i think you did say about the similarities to buddhism i don't know if this comes from buddhism but on sam harris's app waking up there's a thing that he has like the last time meditation it's like if when you sit down for dinner just all right imagine tomorrow's dinner but you're not there everyone is gutted okay cool well let's make sure that they're not gutted today and have a good dinner with them it's quite a nice way to think about it. I like it. Have you have you used Sam Harris's app before? Oh yes. I absolutely yeah. love it. It's amazing. And you know what? They've they've done a really good job. I think it's the best app on the market. Mm. Um, because it's it's just there's so many different things to explore. And there's a great stoic course on there by mm. William Irving, which is brilliant. Really well really well done. But I love all the lectures and all of the different things and I really like the Douglas I, I was into Douglas Harding and um Richard Lang before he was on the before it was cool <laughs> before it's cool <laughs> actually it's it's great to see his course you know the headless way I love that oh it's, god all kind of connect it's quite kind of freaky but interesting have you yeah have you explored all of that as well then? yeah so when I first started meditating I did the 50-day course on Sam Harris and then kind of fell off the wagon for a bit and then went over to Headspace and then I got Headspace dropped me as a sponsor and I had to grow up and leave my Headspace streak uh not long ago so i got to like 750 odd days it was like i was so proud of it yeah. and i was like actually i need to grow up and stop doing it for a streak and go and learn some serious consciousness observing with sam harris and friends because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's stages to meditation i think there's only so long you can do of just observing the breath i think learning about what the object of consciousness actually is plus all these different views on there it's, it's amazing so i had a long hiatus of about two and a half years but i'm back back onto it now like halfway through the course again mm. no it's so yeah. good there's so much content on there and that's what i think is so good about it there's they've just got the alan watts rights for like a mm. hundred hours worth of alan watts <laughs> which is amazing like i've been listening to quite a lot of him as well and i i just think it's so funny that you read about all these different philosophies and there's such a connection between them even stoicism mm. I find that there's so many ideas that do map in, like sort of bleed into Buddhist thought and they were all kind of conceived in different places, but yet there's this universal theme and understanding. And even like existentialism, there's this kind of all mixes in and actually when mm. you start getting into it, it's really nice to see these patterns and how they relate to each other. Yeah, there's some kind of like universal truth that just, well, Albert Camus would be like absurdism, existentialism would kind of be like, it's everything's pointless. Buddhism's, Buddhism's impermanence, Stoicism's tranquility, it all has these like interweaving examples of how we should all kind of try and chill out a little bit. <laughs> it would help. It would help. <laughs> to put it simply. <laughs> so what, what else have you come across then, um, philosophy-wise, that you've, you've enjoyed? Because obviously you've, you've got in there about being the book doctor for yourself. I think it's such a good thing for people to do. You obviously read a fuck ton on stoicism, but is there anything else that you've come across that's been really helpful in your 
journey of of going from anxious to being able to handle anxious better well there's lots i think the the philosophies that i really connect to i like eastern philosophy a lot so zen is something i'm really into um stoicism is kind of like my main my main jam but then i really do i do love uh zen i love buddhism more the philosophical buddhism than the, uh, the ritualistic like religious buddhism because i know that there's so many different types um there's so many different variations with buddhism and there's some of it can be quite ritualistic and based on things that i i wouldn't use but then the actual philosophy the underlining kind of meaning and purpose and, and things that they they write and talk about i find very very helpful and mm. I, I guess that's why i like zen because it's a bit more simplistic and there's it kind of strips back a lot of that and the japanese minimalism aesthetic vibe is is something i really like so yes east eastern philosophy i find very helpful i also think like um like a lot of modern therapy ideas like cognitive behavioral therapy and and these kind of thought nlp and rebt all these different things right yeah they approach things from a slightly different angle, but they all connect and there's lots of things that, um, that can help us. But yeah, so I'm, I'm sort of focusing East at the moment. That's where my, a lot of my reading is um, based on Eastern philosophy. And, uh, I know that you're a big fan of uh, the Tower of Pooh, aren't you? That's, uh... Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about rereading that the other day because it's, it's such a nice book. I even, after reading it, read The House at Pooh Corner. Yeah, okay. And it was great. <laughs> but yeah, Taoism's great. I did I did read uh, Alan Watts' book on Zen, like the way of Zen or whatever it's called. And Zen seems to be, well, apart from the fact that Alan Watts over-explained it for me, how dare he, um, <laughs> it does seem to have good ideas and that it, it separated obviously from like the Chinese and Tibetan Buddhism and, and went over to Japan and they were the ones who came up with the koans, right? Mm. And the koans are designed just to stop you thinking altogether. And that's the whole goal, isn't it? It's just to stop. It's just to be, right? Just to be uh, a bit more like spontaneous, which which just doesn't seem to fit within Western society, which kind of sucks. <laughs> Do you know what? There's a real sense of humour there as well, especially with the, as you said, with the koans. I like that. There's the thing about Zen is yeah, there's there's a lightness to it. It's not this kind of, it seems like it from the outside, it might be quite heavy. And it's like, you see these people meditating and monks and all the temples and everything. But actually, when you get into reading, there's a real, there's a lightness, there's a real sense of humor. There's quite funny stories. You know, you'll hear Alan Watts talking about these wonderful stories that are really funny that I can't remember. So I'm not going to be able to tell you. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, and then when you read some of the, the, the people who, other people who write about the Zen, it's really nice. There's a great guy called Brad Warner who's done um this whole series he's a zen monk um mm. but he's he's his first book was called hardcore zen and it's like it's punk nice. rock punk rock <laughs> zen and it's like so he would go out and uh, he, he grew up i can't remember somewhere like middle america somewhere in middle america and was really into the punk scene and like so and then he moved to japan and and got a job working for like um this company that makes monster movies and then at the same time he was studying zen and became like he got so into it and became a zen priest and actually wow. he combines in his books and his writing he talks about things that you wouldn't associate with zen so like yeah zombies and hardcore punk and all this stuff and zen buddhism and how they kind of all cross over which is 
Really interesting. Um, so yeah, that's fascinating. Check out, but I, I really like yeah the Eastern philosophy. I think it can be very powerful. Yeah, I, it kind of reminds me like of uh, like a Zen monk would be. Is it Rafiki in Lion King? The right. the not the bird actually the the monkey who always hits him on the head like that's like a a Zen monk would do just to snap people out of thought and to get them in into that exact moment. And so just to go back to you, so it's Brad Warner, a guy. I think so. Yeah, Brad Warner. Cool. Yeah, hardcore Zen. If if not, if if that's not, I'm pretty sure that's his name. But if it isn't, it's Hardcore Zen. That's definitely the name of the book. Um, it's quite quite an interesting read. Hmm. And um, right. So we'll, we'll go back to back to stoicism now. Before before we wrap this up, at the end you've put some challenges as well, which I like. Your book. You've 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 brought the practical philosophy into being really really practical, and you've got a whole section on a stoic library as well, which I love because I think that not people will maybe put a reference chart, but not enough people put at the end of their books. By the way, these are the books that I've liked reading. Maybe you'd want to read them as well. I really like that. Um, so what beyond your book would you say has been your favorite book that you've read in the last year? It doesn't have to be Stoicism. Maybe okay, does. so in the last year, so I mean, if we're talking Stoicism, there are three that I always go to, right? Meditations, um, Epictetus, so by Marcus Aurelius, Meditations. Yeah. Epictetus, Discourses and Selected Writings, and uh, Seneca, Letters from a Stoic. So those are the yeah. three that if you, you know, those are the OG texts. Those are the like, I think, if you want to hear it from the horse's mouth, that's yeah. where you're going to go. And sometimes it's quite hard because you don't get the big picture necessarily when you read their texts because it's just like straight in. But sometimes it's quite nice to have a, a step back and have someone sort of outline and put everything mm. together. But those are my three favourite Stoic books. But this year books that i've read that i love um stolen focus mm. by yeah no. hari amazing that's probably the best yeah. book i've read this year like so good and then um merlin sheldrake entangled uh, lives okay i've recently bought that so maybe i'll bump it on my list so love it it's just it's almost like it's so big picture conceptual um almost philosophical almost but almost uh, <laughs> yeah it's good it's really good oh cool and then actually one last question because you uh, we were going to do a podcast and then obviously you had a baby and i can't believe you'd ever do that just when we we're about to have a podcast but how has stoicism helped in parenting it's helped immensely like when i yeah when we were supposed to have the podcast we had it booked in and it was the day that my little boy was he, he turned up really early and yeah. everything just kind of descended into chaos. And we had a month in hospital because he was so early. Yeah. And I think, to be honest, without something, some kind of philosophical structure, that would have been so much harder. It was really hard. It was brutally hard. But I think mm. having certain ideas that I could lean on, mainly the, the, the sense of what I can and can't control in this situation, um, even though it felt like, you know, it was so difficult. But having something, just something to hold on to made that so much better. Having some sense of, okay, what, what do I do in this, this soup of like disorder and chaos that we're just like trying to get through. And yeah, that was infinitely helpful. But then yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of trickled into everything now. Like, so my little boy calls, he's called Ollie and he's nine months now, which is wild. Gone, it's gone by so quickly. Mental. But yeah, it, it definitely influences how I am 
as a as a parent because i think there's certain ideas that are important that i want him to be able to um to have in his life and tools that i wish that i'd known about when i was younger i didn't know about all of this i think that's why i was hit so hard with anxiety because i didn't have any management strategy in place so i was mm. just like oh my god what's going on without any tools so i want to be able to arm him with things that he can use so we do read a little bit of stoicism does that mean we're going to see some kids books on the way we'll see we'll see but i do think this is powerful for um uh, schools as well i think this this yeah. uh, will work really well in a school setting helping kids to understand their minds better so yeah yeah it's good it's good oh wicked well you've got a few things on the market now um two books and your challenge cards is that yeah. correct yeah, yeah so where where can everyone get those from and where can people find and follow you so I think the best thing is to go to my website, which is benaldridge.com because there's links to all the different social things. I've got a, um, a newsletter with a Ben's book club. So monthly like newsletter goes out with book recommendations and just kind of updates with my project and my projects. And then, yeah, also there's links to all the books, the two books and the Decker challenge cards as well. So that's probably the best place I would recommend people to go and visit. And also there's videos on my Instagram, which is at do things that challenge you of me walking bananas in public spaces and like doing stupid things like climbing Everest on my stairs and ice baths and whatnot. All that, all that bizarre stuff makes it onto that channel. Oh, wicked. Well, as a, as a live review, I think your book's going to help a lot of people and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how well this one does and whatever comes next. Oh, well, thank you so much. And thank yeah, thanks for inviting me on. It's been, yeah, really great to chat to you. I appreciate the support. Thank you. Well, everybody, thanks so much for listening. What's, isn't he nice? What a nice guy. If you want to support Ben and his book, it's How to Control the Uncontrollable. And you can buy that from wherever you buy your books from. I'm sure of it. I don't really want anything from you now. I'm just going to end the podcast because, you know, silence my email list maybe that's what i would cram in there if i if i if i was to cram one more thing in actually i would just say silence my email list Uh, and then loads of other stuff boring stuff is in the description i love you all you're all legends goodbye